Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Romans chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 5, we'll read verses 1 and 2. Today I'm going to ask you if you would to stand, please, as we reverence the reading of God's holy word. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into His grace in which we stand. And we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. May the Lord bless the reading of His words. You may be seated. Therefore, is always important, especially in the book of Romans. We'll see more of these in the weeks and months, years, decades, centuries to come if we finish Romans. But I want to take a look at these two verses today, and I do, though, want to start with the therefore it ties together everything we have learned so far in chapters 1 through 4. We didn't look at 3 through 4, but we did look at chapter 1. Let's do a little bit of a review. And I, I want to say this. There are going to be a lot of Scriptures go on the screen. Please listen to them. Read them along with me today very carefully. Because this is a word from God, not me. And it's so very important. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul tells us this is what God has to say to us Gentiles. Not some special group of Gentiles, not some crowd that we've determined are reprobates. And boy, this is just a description of them, their Special sinners know this is a message for all of us who are not Jews. That'd be most of us. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. And to the Gentiles, he said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. All ungodliness, not some of it, not part of it, not the things that we feel like are really bad. There's no excusing the things that maybe we have somehow or another justified in our thinking. There are no little things. There are no medium-sized things. No large things. They're just things. Revealed His wrath against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give 
thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, worthless in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They had all kinds of ideas about me, God said. They determined all kinds of things. Some people determined that, though, there was more than one of me, that maybe there are thousands of gods, that I'm one among many, and others determined to personalize me and make me more like themselves, and, and they turned me into a god that behaved intellectually and that would not assault their emotions or their sentimentality about uh, people that they love that may not trust in me as their Savior. Uh, they became the Savior for others because they just couldn't bear the thought that maybe someone would die and spend eternity in hell. So he says their speculations were just a waste. In verse 25, and they exchanged the truth of God for a lie actually we said remember the lie there's a definite article there and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed for ever amen the lie i'll just say this quickly before we move to chapter two the lie is we don't need god we, we, we got this, God, or if we have some form of religion, one's as good as another, and, 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 and it's just all cool, and, and, and religion is a thing that, you know, you have like you have your gym membership and all those other things, but as far as really trusting in Him, the Creator of the universe, to solve our issues, we shook our face, our, our fist in His face, and determined that, God, we, we, we just don't need you. And I, 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 would, I would say this, first of all, for those that are just purely atheistic, that we have plenty of those. C.S. Lewis, I know I quote him a lot, but he said, arguing against God is arguing against the very power that makes you able to argue at all. So true. When you look at our world today, we seem to think that, no, we can solve these problems. It's not spiritual. It's not a sin issue. We've got problems, but the right legislation, if we can get people to reach across the aisle, if we can just get the other side to see it our way or whatever, somehow or another, we have just too much brilliance. We just are too smart. We have too much money. We just know what we're doing and, and, and there's just not a time when our leaders in Washington especially stand up and say we need to get on our faces before God. I read last week, San Francisco is addressing the homeless crisis. And I know dealing with homeless people, I have had plenty of experience with that in my ministry and, and I can tell you a lot of them are to be pitied and some of them pitied for making terrible decisions in their life or whatever but the problem is we are not as a nation addressing the spiritual issue that's involved here so I thought it was interesting. We think money's always the answer. Do you, do you know that San Francisco, the city, spends $106,000 per homeless person annually? Why not just write the checks? 
Wouldn't they go buy them a house and not be homeless anymore? Wouldn't they use that for college tuition and better their lives? Wouldn't they use that to get in a treatment center and all of that? Well, we know better for most of them. That would never happen. And also, they are useful to politicians. So uh, throwing more and more money at it just seems to be the answer, especially when it's not your money. I also read this week that in Houston, we have such a crime wave going across our country, but in Houston, every year about this time, they go back 12 months, and they look at everyone who has been murdered in the city, and the Houston Crime Stoppers organization has a time where they bring everybody together, and they read the names of everyone who's been murdered in the last year, except for this year, they're just going to let the name scroll on a screen because they said over 600 names would take too long to read. It's sad, but we think we can do it without God. We're the smartest, most well-educated, richest nation in the world. We can't. He talks to the Gentiles, that's us, in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he talks to the Jews. As a matter of fact, in verse 1, listen, he says, Therefore you have no excuse. I'm putting the emphasis there because it's where it belongs. We won't know but until later in the chapter that he is dealing with the Jews. For you who judge practice the same things. He says, you Jews have always said, that the Gentiles were worthless. They were worth nothing except to keep the hell fires burning. That's the only reason God created them. That was an old Jewish saying. They're worthless. Yes, they're full of all of these depraved things that we talked about in chapter 1. But then in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul says, Well, let me just tell you, Jews, I'm, I'm one of you, and I, I, I can tell you that we have no excuse we had far more benefits than they ever did. In verse 11, he says, For there is no partiality with God. That's what the Jews banked on, that he's going to show us partiality. Verse 12, For all who have sinned without the law will perish without the law. I'm not going to hold them accountable for things that they don't know, things that they have never heard, but things they have heard and things they do know. That is what I will hold them accountable for. And he says, In all who have sinned under the law, yeah, you will be judged by the law. Verse 25, For indeed circumcision, I know, he says, you bank on that big time. It is of value if you practice the law, but if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. There wasn't a dirtier word in all of the Jewish way of thinking than to call someone uncircumcised. Do you remember when uh, old Goliath was hurling insults at little David in the slingshot? Remember what he called him, he said, who is this big old, tall, uh, uh, uncircumcised Philistine? Didn't matter much to Goliath, but I'm sure the Israelites cheered. Paul tries to tell us in the churches to Galatia in his letter there, 
He says, you keep the law of circumcision, you're going to have to keep all the law, and you can't do it. No one ever has, and no one ever will be able to. And chapter 3 talks to Jews and Gentiles. We'll look at a few verses there. In verses 9 through 18, he says, what then? Having said all of this, he said, I've, I've leveled it the field for all of us, Jews and Gentiles. So, so what then? Are we better than they? He's asking his fellow Jews, are we better than they? He says, not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. We've got the same problem, Paul says. In verse 10, he quotes two of the Psalms, Psalm 14 and Psalm 85, I think. Verse 10, he says, as it is written, there's none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of vipers or asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. And the most damning allegation, verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Just none. In chapter 3, verse 21 and 24, he says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Wow. Finally some good news. I mean, you have to preach these things. I didn't write this book. It's pretty tough, the first few chapters of Rome. Of Romans but this is the diagnosis we do want to hear it right we have to or we're not going to be able to appreciate what he's done for us but now he says apart from the law outside of the law not you doing better not those dumb foolish promises we make to God not promising and guaranteeing God if you'll get me out of this I won't do it again or whatever he said apart from all of that the righteousness, not of us, something we could attain, but the righteousness that comes from God has been made known, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And I, I just, this is too cool to miss. The prophets talked about one day that people would be justified not under the law, but by the righteousness of God. Let me just read you one verse from Isaiah 56. He's talking about the eunuchs. The eunuchs were considered just terribly unclean. They had been physically mutilated, so to speak, and you know how. But in Isaiah 56, 5, God tells the prophet Isaiah 800 years before Jesus is born. He says, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial. The eunuchs, they're going to be able to be saved. Are you kidding? They're like Gentile squared. Wow. 
And he says, and a name better than that of sons and daughters. They may not have children, but he says, I can tell you, I'll give them a name. I'll give them a moral. I'll give them a place within my family that is better than even sons and daughters. Verse 22, chapter 3, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for those who believe, for there is no distinction. In verse 23, we've all recited it. Let's put it now in this context. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Did you ever imagine that verse was in the middle of such a hot sermon? That's where it is. In verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace. What have we been saying? We are justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Let's take a quick look at chapter 4. He's dealt with the Gentiles. He's dealt with the Jews. Then in chapter 3, he dealt with the Gentiles and the Jews. He's got one more little bit of housework to do because they're going to be wondering, well, what about Abraham? Abraham was our father, and we know that he was righteous. If it wasn't by the law, how did it happen? So chapter 4, verse 1, so what can we say that Abraham, and I'm, I'm going to quote this from the New Century Version, and, I, and I'm not translation hopping. I, I see people do that sometimes because one translation will better make their point. I'm, I'm not doing that. But this verse is so clear in the New Century Version. Let's read it together in that version. So what can we say that Abraham, the father of our people, learned about faith? If Abraham was made right by the things he did, he had a reason to brag. But this is not God's view. It's not how God saw it at all. Because the Scripture says Abraham believed God. And God accepted Abraham's faith. And that faith made him right with God. Even Abraham did not earn it. But his faith in God was how he became counted as righteous. Now to chapter 5. I want us to concentrate on these two verses. I'll read them again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained an introduction by faith into His grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Four things. Four incredible things benefits, blessings that we find in our relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Once we stop trying on our own and put our faith and trust in Him, number one, there is a position that we enjoy in Christ. A position we enjoy, verse 1, therefore having been justified. By faith, having been justified. Now, that's passive voice. 
So we already know it's not something I am doing. It is something that has been done for me. Okay, so when you, you write, they tell you not to write in passive voice. It makes the story drag. And I'm, I know a lot of you, 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 you hate when you see passive voice. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I can't stand it. But it's a passive participle. It's something, it's an I-N-G word. Having been justified. And I love this part. What's the tense of this verb? Well, it's an aorist. may not mean anything to you except I will tell you that an aorist verb is punctiliar action. It has happened and it's done and it's over with. And it happened the moment that I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's not an ongoing process. I don't have to die one day and hope and pray I make it to heaven. I won't be standing in line somewhere with my little folder full of things I did in VBS when I was a kid and and my tax form showing how much I gave to the church. And, and I won't have to bring all those papers with me. I can tell you, all of that was worthless. And Paul says, I count it all as rubbish. That's scubilon, by the way. And scubilon is the Greek word for poop. What did you want me to say? That's the word. He said, I count all those great things I did as scubilon. He said, it's all worthless. I'm so glad I won't have to stand up there and convince St. Peter to let me in. What a, what a foolish idea. I can tell you right now, if I die tonight or die uh, 50 years from now or whenever, I can tell you I am going to be with God forever because my justification is done. It is a sealed deal. It is already over with because it wasn't by my merit. It was because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Man. We tell people they need to get right with God. They can't. God has to make you right with Him. As a matter of fact, in verse 10 of this same chapter, we didn't get down that far, but He says, but for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Now, another passive verb. We were reconciled to Him. And every time reconciliation is mentioned in the New Testament, it's never about me reconciling myself to God. It is about God reconciling sinners to Himself, bringing us in line, bringing us in order with Him, bringing us into a justified, right relationship with Him. Him. We have been reconciled to God. How? Through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. He didn't stay in the grave, and neither will we. We put our faith and trust in Him. Now, Justified is such powerful words. We have been reconciled, justified. Those are legal terms. If God had just ignored sin, that would be mercy. But it would not bring justification. 
you can, he could have ignored sin, and, and that would have been love and mercy and grace and undeserved. But we needed more than that because God is a God that is just and holy and perfect, and he can't have a relationship with me unless I am the same. So I can't make it on my own. I couldn't do it on my own. So he could not just simply ignore my sin. So many people, I think, nowadays in our churches just believe that, well, I don't know about Jesus dying for my sins. That, it's a, it just blows my mind. People don't really believe that Jesus died because he had to die for our sins. They just think that somehow or another we're all going to be in heaven one day with God, whether we trust in Christ or not. And the reason Jesus died was he loved poor people and, and the downtrodden, and the Jews didn't, and they hated him. And it just fits right into that socialistic gospel idea that people have grown to embrace. Back in chapter 3, I didn't read it a while ago. I'm going to read it now in verse 25, 26. God sent him to die in our place to take away our sins. We receive forgiveness through faith in the blood of Jesus' death. That's how it happened. They, this showed, listen to this, this showed that God always does what is right and fair. He's a righteous God. We say God's all-powerful. He can do anything. He can just look at sin and go, okay, I'm just going to blot out some of these here. And, and I know you really didn't mean that. You really did mean this here, though, and I don't want to see you doing that anymore. We act like God is God so he can just monkey with the books and get us all there somehow or another. People say God loves everybody, and that's where the gospel stops. Well, he does love everybody. But you and I need to be more than just loved. We need to be justified. God showed that God always does what is right and fair. As in the past when he was patient, there was a time he was patient and did not punish people for their sins. He didn't strike everybody down with death every time they sinned. He was patient with them. And God gave Jesus to show today that he does what is right. He was going to have to make a sacrifice for our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. But the only way he can justify forgiving our sins is to come and to die for us. God did this so he could judge rightly, so he could make right. Any person who has faith in Jesus Christ. He's a God of justice and righteousness and mercy and love. Why would you trade this for universalism? Did, did you not see the beauty in this? People don't want to believe this. They want to believe, well... Somehow or another, everybody's going to be there. Everybody's going to be okay. That's when, because we've imposed our sentiments on God. Matter of fact, we talked about it last week. We have forced God on trial, and we're wanting Him 
to justify himself as to how he could possibly not let somebody into eternal glory with him. We are arrogant fools, are we not? How could we turn this down? The position I have in him, I'm justified. Secondly, the peace I enjoy in Christ. We have peace with God, he says, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing in the world more precious than having peace with God. Nothing. It, you, you might be here today, and, and, and right now you might not have peace with your help. That's, that's a tough place to be. I, I, people that go through so many horrible things, and, and, and I, I've gone through some tough things, but boy, I have nothing to compare with the suffering that I have seen in other people. But I remember what it was like when I was told that I had cancer, and, and we weren't quite sure where, we, where it might be and all of that. And, and I remember going home and knowing that the next morning that we were going to take a good look and see if it had spread as far as I knew. It could have been in my liver, could have been in my kidneys or whatever. I didn't know. I was not at peace with my health. You may be there right now. I thank God for His healing, but one of these days He's going to call me home. One of these days He's going to call me home, and, 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 and I know that if He tarries His coming, but I, I can tell you I may leave this world not satisfied, not, not feeling good about my health, but I can tell you I have peace with God, and that's worth everything. You might not have peace with your finances, Maybe you just don't know how you're going to make it and, and you're, you're saying the Sunday school thing. You're, you've learned to say, I know Jesus is going to help me, but don't you kind of wish he'd sort of tell you how he's going to help you? You know, if God would just write the check and leave it on the table, not sign it, but just let me know he's going to. I just really like to see some daylight at the end of this tunnel. I, maybe you are not at peace with your finances. Maybe you're not at peace with your family right now. Maybe there are difficulties in your life between you and some of the dearest people in the world. I can tell you that all of that can be very, very painful, and I don't downplay any of it, but it's nothing to compare with having peace with God. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's through our Lord Jesus Christ. We hear this phrase we throw around. I, I don't think we really mean what we say, but we say, I, I, I got to make my peace with God. You can't make your peace with God. It comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. It has to be made for you. You can't go to God and, and confess all the bad things you did, and then that's fine. No, he has to forgive us of our sinfulness. We can't make our peace with God. But I love this. If you look at Psalm 85, verse 10, loving kindness and truth. That's Boy, that's two ends of the spectrum. Hesed, the word for just incredible mercy and undeserved love. Remember, we learned that about loving kindness. Loving kindness and truth, the psalmist says, have met together. They met at the cross. I love this second part of the verse. He says, righteousness and peace 
Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Wow. How cool is that? Righteousness and peace and God have been brought together for a holy kiss. Man. So awesome. It's so awesome having peace with God. You know, sometimes young men and women go off to war. I came from a family where almost everyone. I think on, from both sides of the family, I think I had one uncle who got married very early and had quite a few children. I think he's the only uncle on either side of my family that did not serve in the military during wartime. My dad, he served in the Korean War. I had one uncle that he served in World War II and was never, ever psychologically correct again, ever. Couldn't live with what he saw. It was incredible. Had another uncle who retired out of the Air Force, fought in World War II, Vietnam War. Also later he would, I'm sure, fight in the Korean conflict. He was there for many years. But people go off to war. And when you go off to war, what you do is you leave your family and your loved ones behind and you go and you join with other people who are fighting the same war that you're fighting. When you are at war with God, he's talked about this here. We were enemies with him. When you are at war with God, you do the same thing. You walk away from those that love you. Sometimes you leave the church. You leave things behind. Your whole identity has changed. You don't even look the same anymore, just like you went to fight a war on earth. You're at war with God. And what is, happens usually is you wind up joining forces with other people who are also at war with God, constantly fighting. I'm not saying that you hate God or care nothing about God. It's just that those ideas, they just get on your nerves. It seems too simple. It seems intellectually unsound. It, it just, that professor you had in fre as a freshman in college just helped to open your eyes. At least that's how you saw it or felt about it. And, and, and you left people behind that loved you and cared about you. You even felt sorry for us because we were just like a, a bunch of dumb oafs that, that would believe in such things as this. And you went off to war to fight with God. Some of you may have loved ones right now. They're off at war, aren't they? They've joined forces with others who are just as dissatisfied. I can tell you it's a sweet thing when one of your loved ones comes home from the war. It's an awesome thing when someone finally finds peace with God that you love. I'm sure you've heard of John Piper. I've quoted him several times because he's done such an incredible work with Romans. Probably not have heard, maybe, 
may not have heard of Abraham Piper. Abraham Piper is John's son. He was excommunicated from John's church when he was 19 years old because he went to war. He told the church he didn't believe all of that foolishness. He didn't believe in God. Thought it was a bunch of lies. He renounced his faith. Became so vocal about it, he was excommunicated at 19. He became a TikTok star. I, I don't even know enough about that. To, I just know it has to do with the internet and things like that. He founded a media company called Brain Jolt in 2014. Now, this is a kid that was driving a forklift. It took him 11 years to finish college. He actually came back to church one time because he read the book of Romans and he said it spoke to my heart and I came back because I felt like maybe I could accept what God was saying. But he left again. He's a millionaire. Not from driving a forklift, but because he joined forces with so many others who saw things just like him. He was a talented young man. He was unfocused getting through college, but it wasn't because he was stupid. Very intellectual. He started a blog called 22 Words. Some of you may have heard of that. He's the one that started that blog, sold it one time, bought it back. He's a multimillionaire because of all of that. Incredible. I think about John Piper. One of the greatest preachers that you'll ever hear preaching as long as you live. And what his heart must feel like to know. Oh, the videos his son shows, I don't look them up in front of the kids. He will use language that's just filthy. He is a grown man now married with children. He's still not come home from the war. He has no peace with God. And when you see him, you know he has no peace at all. Our position we have in Christ, our peace. Thirdly, our privilege, we'll look at it quickly and then move to our last point. But through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Sunagoge is a Greek word for synagogue. It means to lead together. Sun is together, and ago is lead. Prosagoge means to lead forth, and that's the word for introduction here. It is a word that was used in the ancient world for taking someone into the presence of royalty. We have been led into the grace of God. We have been led into a relationship with God, a door that would have been forever locked, through whom also we have obtained. Jesus Christ, he's the one. Through Jesus Christ, we have obtained our introduction by faith, not because we straightened up and finally did, not because we got in church, but by faith into His grace 
And now we stand, and yes, we do stand, and we raise our hands and we praise the Lord. Man alive, I love the worship today. It just is incredible. I, I just look so forward to it every week. And we stand and we lift our hands and we praise God. But we, I, if you're a visitor here, please don't think that we're all standing and praising God because we finally all figured it out or we finally all got it right or we're just waiting on you to kind of catch on and get your life cleaned up like we cleaned up ours. We didn't clean up anything, friend. The people that are up here leading this music, I can just tell you, they were just old sorry sinners, some of the sorriest I ever met. Just kidding. But pretty sorry. We don't raise our hands and stand in anything but grace, friend. We're not fit to crawl in here on the floor, let alone stand and lift our arms and hands to God. And to praise Him. We have been led into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I love Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, he's in the presence of God. He's not waiting around in the temple or the tabernacle for the Shekinah glory of God to come down and visit him, no. He's, he is God. <laughs> He's in heaven with God, standing there. That's our high priest. That's the one that is pleading our cause before God. Jesus, the Son of God, that's who he is. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, thank goodness, but one who has been tempted on all things as we are yet without sin. Last of all, verse 16, Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of judgment, inquiry, measurement. Throne of what? Say it. Throne of grace. The throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hallelujah. Last of all, now don't leave me. I usually don't tell you how many points I'm going to have because you'll clock me. Three down. You start zipping up the youngins' britches and getting them awake, and putting that order in over at Me Pueblitos, getting that DoorDash fellow on the way. The promise I enjoy in Christ, the position, the peace, privilege, there's a promise I enjoy in Christ. In verse 2, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. I'm going to say this is the most important part of the whole message. Because I want us to finish by talking about the glory of God. And the hope that we have that one day we will be totally in the presence, in the midst of the glory of God. But what is the glory 
of God. We've talked about glorifying God. I, I want us to nail this down today. What is the glory of God? The glory of God is the visible manifestation of God's character. That's just one way of saying it. It is a visible manifestation of the perfect character of God and all the things that go along with that. It is a demonstration of the perfect character and nature of God. It is an exhibition. When we see the glory of God, we see something that we know is of God. We're getting to see a little bit of God in that particular thing. And we can see some of that on earth sometimes. And, and he even says, go outside and look up if you want to see my glory. It is a display of the perfect character and nature of God. It is an expression of the perfect character and nature of God. It is an indication that something has been touched by a perfect, omnipotent Creator. And when we see His glory, it's an awesome thing. And, and stay with me here. On this earth, God allows us to see His glory. Not like we will one day. And not just in things we see. Love. I, I don't... Until I had children, I didn't understand that. My mother gave me away when I was a kid. I never had a problem with that until I had my first child. I never even thought anything about it. I thought maybe it was a good economic decision. When I held my first child in my hands, I want to tell you something. I quit understanding how somebody could do that. It's incredible. That love you feel towards your child. Do, do, you ever love them? You, do, have you ever loved your children so much it just it hurt? And I, I don't mean like, like they, you know, you were fighting with them or whatever. You when. I used to just watch my kids sleep and I would cry. They're sleeping. Their little belly's full. Leave the diapers full. Oh, I just cry. Loretta'd finally get a little chase to sleep, and I'd go in there and start kissing that face. Just trying, you know, sneak a smooch. Wake him up. Ah, oh, he's awake, honey. And by the way, there's a, another problem. I'm telling you, have you felt that? That's God. That's not something from this earth. The way you love your children, would you give your heart to one of your children? you take it out yourself. That's not any question about that whatsoever. And grandchildren, don't get me started. 
And I know I'm not the one that should be talking about that because I have the best, smartest, brightest, prettiest grandchildren in the world. And so I'm biased, and I know that. But I can just, man, I'm telling you, I know you don't know about it. You're thinking, yeah, he might think he does, but wow. Oh, that, 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 you're feeling some God right there. But God warns us. He said people felt that. But then they started worshiping the child instead of the one who created the child. They worshiped the child in, instead of the one that deserved the glory. And I know we should love our children, but just because your little girl won a beauty contest or because your son can really throw a baseball or whatever, you need to make sure that you glorify God for all of that and raise that child to know that if there is anything in your life that is good, that all good and perfect gifts come from God. Don't worship that child. Go back to chapter 1. He said that's where it came off the rails. They worship the creation rather than the creator. Music. Man alive. Music is one of those things where I see God so much in harmonies. The, boy, it's just so incredible. M music just blows my mind. Johann Sebastian Bach said that no piece of music is worth ever composing unless it brings glory and honor to God. No piece of music. And he would write at the top of every piece of music that he ever composed. You can see it. Go online. A J and a J. For Jesus Yuva. That means Jesus help me. And then when he would finish at the end of that long composition, he would write SDG for sola de gratia. All glory to God. But man, music, the notes, the harmonies. How does that, oh, wow, it just... It's just amazing how beautiful that is. And, and other arts. In heroism, where you see someone that gives their life for another person, that doesn't come from this world. That comes from God. I, I, I don't say the person, that means they're a Christian if they did that. But I'm just telling you, when you see someone willing to jump on a hand grenade with five other soldiers standing there, you are seeing something that comes from God. Those are little glimpses of God. Human beings. Human beings. The way He made us. Our, our, our bodies. You have about two meters length of DNA in every cell in your body. Okay, now just think about that. You got a lot of cells in your body. Some of us have more than we wish we had. We're cell blessed. But do you know if you took the, the DNA, the, the six-foot total strand out of just one human body, out of every cell in a normal human body, and put them end to end, 
it would go all the way across our solar system and back. Man, did you realize you had that many miles on you? Just one sail has six foot, and you take all those sails and put those six-foot strands together. It's, it's incredible. And then when you look at the earth, there's so much beauty in the earth and so many things that I, I know. I, I'm a hunter. I'm a fisherman. But, boy, when I see things in nature that only God could create, I love being out there in the middle of that. I I, I, I love watching animals as they take care of each other, as they, they raise their young. The beauty of certain birds are just off the chart. And then all of these beautiful pictures, man, alive. Frank and Donna uh, post online. I love those. It's just, and, and this week, for some reason, I guess because of this sermon and, and the time of the year, I had more people send me pictures of sunsets and sunrises and I'm thinking, Lord, I know when I'm preaching Sunday and you are just laying it on me. You can't paint that. An awesome God is showing you just a little bit of his character. And then let's look at the heavens. If you look at just our Milky Way, now it's like two really flat discs. We like to call them two flat little disc but it's a thousand light years thick so huge but i want to step on out even further than our galaxy i want to show you a picture of the eagle nebula a nebula is a place where stars sometimes are formed or they have exploded and caused different things to happen oh yes there they are Within the Eagle Nebula are these tall things. They're made out of cooled hydrogen. The one on the left is four light years tall. Now, a light year is six trillion miles. That's pretty incredible. Now, this nebula that we're looking at, it's called the Pillars of Creation because so many stars, we believe, were born out of this mass. It, and, and to just try to give you some understanding of what little bit we can reach out and grasp about the glory of God that we see. He's the one who said, look, look at this. He said, this will show you some things about me. This is 7,000 light years away. Now that doesn't mean a lot, but let me put it in a different perspective for us. This may not even be there anymore. May not. You say, well, when's the last time I took a picture? It doesn't matter. Because at 7,000 light years away, if this explodes and they have seen some things going on around it some scientists have wondered if it's still there because it looked like there was some conditions that were ripe for a major explosion but if this thing exploded today and disintegrated this whole nebula or the pillars of creation that's within the nebula 
it would be 7,000 years before you and I would quit seeing it. Because the end of that light has to get here. We'll still see it for 7,000 years. It may have already, may already be gone. Some scientists believe it has. Is that not incredible? Just our North Star is 35 light years away, so I think 35. It, it, it could go out tonight and be 35 years up before we quit seeing it. it, it that's just so amazing. But I want you to look at this. And this is just what little bit we can see. There is so much out there. This is the glory of God we're getting to see. And what you and I have to remember is one of these days we have the hope of glory where we will get to go where Paul said, I went one time and he said, what I saw I cannot even put into words. Could you imagine one day being in the presence of the glory of God, His character, seeing it 24-7, always for all eternity, to be in his presence forever. We have that hope. And later on in this chapter, he'll tell us this is not the hope that disappoints. Elpis is the Greek word for hope. In the New Testament, hope is not a word like, I hope I win the lottery. Hope is something that I have assurance of already that I look forward to. Very different. Very different than I hope I pass this test. This is hope that we have with blessed assurance. What is my blessed assurance? Jesus is mine. We ought to write a song. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What's yours? Getting that college debt paid off. Graduating, marrying the right guy, whatever. I, I don't know where you're looking for your assurance. Jesus is mine. He's mine. Man. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, I'm all the way back, Pastor, at that war thing. Been fighting a battle for a long time. Maybe you're here today and you got kids. You'd love to see them come home with you. They're still fighting. They don't hang around people like you. They hang around people like them. Other people that are fighting that same battle. Fighting that same war. 
angry at God, feels like people who believe this stuff are stupid. They found their significance in some kind of pseudo-intellectualism. Man, I remember it felt good to amen college professors when they were enlightening people. And they're not all that way, I know that. But I'm just saying to you, maybe you're here this morning. If you're fighting that war, man, come on. Surrender. You're not going to win it. Surrender. Just say, God, I give up. I give up. I'm tired, God. I'm weary, Lord. I'm give out. I'm so full of hate and anger and bitterness. And I have kept this fire of anger lit within me so long, God, I'm just cooked. I don't want it anymore, God. I want peace with you. He, he preached today. He read words from Scripture that said, through Jesus Christ, I could have peace with you. Man. Not next Sunday, but the next. We're going to have a church join us. We're going to have a church join us. We're going to have a baptism. The pastor that led Gabe to Christ is going to be here that Sunday, and he's going to baptize Gabe right here. Oh, we're going to have a house full, and we're going to rejoice. You know why? Gabe came home from the war. Oh, you shot up a little bit. He had a, some bruises, banged up places, but he finally gave up and came home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray right now, God, if there's anyone in this place under the sound of my voice, God, that right now they just need to give up. They need to stop fighting. They, they need the Lord just finally fall into your arms and realizing, no, Lord, that you weren't trying to impress them intellectually when you wrote your word. Lord, you tell us in your word that, that there are not many noble and there are not many wise. Very few of those ever come to know you, God. They have their own world. Lord, maybe there's someone here today they would just like to get out of that world. I pray right now, God, they would just whisper to you, God, I surrender. I surrender, God. I give up. I give up, God. I, I want to put my faith and trust in you. Lord, I pray right now. Maybe there's someone listening to the podcast. I pray, God, if you're riding down the road, they'll pull over on the side of the road right now, God. Right now, pull in somewhere. Stop. Bow your head. Cry out to God. Say, God, I'm tired of fighting. 
pray, Father, whoever that might be, you touch that heart right now. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you, Father, that righteousness and mercy have kissed. And it was to our benefit, God. Undeserved though it may be, Lord, thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.